You're listening to The Echoes with me, Emily Andrew, the self-development podcast that explores personal stories, powerful tools, and an insight into the wide world of mental, physical, and spiritual health. Get ready to get curious, be inspired, and connect in. My guest this week is Harriet Curry. Harriet is a qualified integrative therapist and coach specializing in eating disorders, including binge eating disorder. Growing up in the 90s to early thousands with diet culture and harmful beauty standards, Harriet experienced many years of disordered eating, including binge eating disorder, and believed that she just had no willpower or no control. She sought help to end her binge eating cycle and completely healed her relationship with food, which then totally transformed her life. She's trained as a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist and then took further training, including the eating disorder practitioner training where we met. To date, she has helped over 100 women overcome binge eating. She has a vast depth of knowledge when it comes to binge eating and the passion and dedication that drives her work is truly inspiring. In this episode, we'll be diving into some of the beliefs behind binge eating and binge types. And Harriet will be offering practical tools that you can put into action straight away if any of these echoes resonate with you. So let's get into it. So I guess I should probably start this podcast off by saying that my guest today is actually one of my really close friends. Um, We pretty much speak every single day using voice note harriet is located in thailand most of the time so our time differences are often kind of off but um our voice notes end up being podcasts after time so uh, yeah this is going to be a really good conversation (laughs) i can tell we are professionals we've prepped at this thousands of times Yeah, our, um, I once got, somebody apologized to me once for sending me a three minute voice note. And um, I realized that actually maybe you and I need to address our voice note situation. I just remember like the first week we became friends, I think I sent you a 20 minute voice note and then you sent me a 20 minute voice note and I was like, we're going to be friends forever. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be a good friendship. How long is the longest one? I think I feel like that was recent. Well, WhatsApp caps you at 30 minutes. Yeah. Fun fact. So I think I've definitely sent you 30 minutes and then an additional voice note because I've been cut off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, um, I was voice noting you back when my car actually linked to my phone. I was voice noting you while I was driving. So I was just talking away and then it had cut me off at half an hour and I was fuming because I was like, there was, I was, t- I was having a really nice conversation. <laughs> yeah. Such a rude interruption. <laughs> I know, I know. Anyway, so thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. We're going to talk about something that is really close to your heart, the work that you do. We met while we were both training as eating disorder practitioners, and uh, we have very similar viewpoints. We, in those very long voice notes, will go over so many different areas and aspects of relationship with food, body image and looking at things like fat phobia and and we've pretty much discussed so much in that in those uh, in those podcast voice notes that what I wanted to do today was to bring you on and talk about something that you are definitely kind of specialist in because I think that your your viewpoint the way that you work it's really effective and I'm really excited to dive into it for the people that have never heard of you Tell us a little bit about you first and what your passion kind of is and where it lies. Yeah, thank you for that. So my name is Harriet. I'm a therapist and a coach. And as Emily said, I also, I did an eating disorder practitioner diploma um, to become an eating disorder practitioner. And I guess that in itself is a specialism. But then I got that feeling of, oh, this is what I'm meant to do. And I know that you resonate with that feeling. and. I've now worked with over a hundred clients and literally seen so many people overcome binge eating. And, you know, it's not, there's no quick fix at all, but what I've seen it is a hundred percent possible to recover from. And that just consistently fuels me to keep doing this work. So I guess I'm passionate about it because 
I really resonate with it. I've I've always said, and I what I've said to you as well, Emily, is that it's just something that I understand really well. And when I speak to my clients and you know, when I speak to people about binge eating, often they will tell me something and then say, oh, I know that sounds crazy, or gosh, like, you know, what's wrong with me? And I just say, Whoa, whoa, whoa nope, I understand exactly what you're saying. It definitely makes sense. And this is what we can do about it. And, and so I guess with that, I guess that's given me a connection to it. And also just this passion to help people overcome it. Because when you've, when you struggle with any eating disorder, but you know, specifically talking about binge eating, it literally just takes over your whole brain. It takes over your life. It's all you can think about. It is the biggest blocker in your life if you suffer with it. And so if you can overcome that, it literally is you taking your life back. Your relationships get better. Your career gets better. The way you see the world is brighter. It's more vivid. Everything just expands because with all eating disorders, it makes your life very, very small. And so what I'm about is helping people get their life back and making the main areas of their life expansive again. Mm. And it's so true, isn't it? I think I often, when I work with a client, I kind of say there is nothing that I haven't heard before. Yeah. There's nothing I haven't seen. There's nothing that I probably haven't done myself, you know, and with especially with a background in eating disorder myself, like you understand on such a level. And I think you and I both really resonate with ex like lived experience being important, but actually being able to also back that up with the the training and the skill set. Because I think there's a lot of people that will go through something like binge eating, for example, and they might find their unique recipe mm -hmm. of how to get over it. And then, you know, with co these days, the, the kind of ease in which it is to become a coach, they can turn around and be like, well, all you need to do is this, this, and this, and just mm -hmm. follow the steps I did. Mm -hmm. And that can create more shame around the t topic because if somebody tries that and the way that they binge is different to you know the, that that coach it can make them feel like okay well nothing works for me and yeah. I think that being able to dig into the beliefs behind binge eating and the different kind of beliefs that people have and why people binge is something that you do really well and is something that I think everybody could benefit from yeah there's definitely not a cookie cutter approach to this and that's why I guess with people who do just use their lived experience as their one and only recipe for helping people overcome binge eating it is essentially like using a cookie cutter approach and you know on reflection of you know even all the clients that I've seen in the past like six months every approach that I've used has been different because every person has been different and their beliefs and their thought processes and their behavior and their even even their specific types of binges were all different mm. and so you can't use a cookie cutter approach with this you can't use a cookie cutter approach with anything mental health related in my opinion yeah no I definitely agree I think that a lot of the time when people hear the words binge eating they have a very specific person in mind mm. they have you know whether that be because of what we see on tv or mm -hmm. movies media that kind of thing but actually um it, there is so much more nuance to binge eating isn't there yeah should I first start with defining what actually is binge eating yeah I think that'd be amazing so essentially binge eating is when one is eating a eating a quantity of food that's bigger than usual and normally in a shorter period of time. However, that's exactly what the definition of overeating is. So the definition of binge eating doesn't stop there. Binge eating is that, and then it's characterized normally by feeling out of control, immense shame and guilt afterwards. Um, I did talk about the pace, but the pace of binge eating is often very, very quick. Um, and often one would have an urge to correct the binge afterwards and compensate in some way that might look like restriction or food intake that day or the day after or that week that could look like excessive exercise that could look like some form of purging after eating and um, so overeating just to bring that up can be very normal it can be very normal to overeat 
and then that's it you've done then you you can move on with your day but when it's a binge normally it's very very difficult to just move on um normally it's eaten to the point where one feels very very sick afterwards because they're eating way past fullness um and often they get to the point where they can't even recognize their their fullness cues and even their hunger cues as well and so that's what binge eating is and in terms of like the nuances like exactly like you said really anyone can suffer with binge eating it it's not dependent on their size their background and their current mental health state anyone can struggle with it and of course there are some overlapping themes but you can't look at someone and be able to tell if they struggle with binge eating. You know, I, for example, I've seen clients who are very, very into fitness, for example. That's one of their main hobbies. So from the outside, you may think, oh, they look really fit. They look really healthy. They look really glowy. But they're deeply struggling with their relationship with food. They feel out of control with food. You would never, ever been able to guess that by just looking at them. And that's exactly why we should not make judgments on people by appearance alone. Hmm. I used to work in the fitness industry and it was quite scary how normalized binge eating was because it was like be really good for six out of seven days and on the seventh day allow yourself to eat everything that you are not allowed during the week yeah and for some people that might work and it might not have a mental or physical impact but I would probably say for most people that could cause some really kind of dire consequences yeah yeah 100 and it's also the shame around binge eating there's of course a tendency to keep it secret and not tell anyone not tell friends not tell family not tell your gp and that's why the statistics on people being diagnosed with binge eating is often probably not it's not probably not that accurate because it's very, very difficult for people to come forward and share this struggle. I wonder if, and I don't know if this has any relevance or legs, but I wonder if part of the reason why people don't really get diagnosed with binge eating disorder is because we don't have the capability to be able to help that many people. Mm. Eating disorder treatment in the UK especially is very much geared towards anorexia, people that are of very low weight, and yeah. they are only really able to help serve people who are dangerously under either underweight or malnourished, whether that be mm. because of purging or that kind of thing. And, and with binge eating, I think a lot of people don't see it as, you know, having an impact on physical health. But that's not actually true, is it? Yeah, no. I mean, it of course has an impact on physical health but also on I mean the impact it has on one's mental health it it's hard to even put into words how much damage it can do and so it is something that actually really upsets me when I have many people come to me and say I can't get help from the NHS and I can't afford private support what do I do and that's why I do try to put out as much like free content as possible and you know put out put out resources for free to help people in need but it is a shame that it is so difficult for people to get help and I th- I think it's also a postcode lottery because depending on where you are that there is support for binge eating but also depending on where you are there's nothing yeah it's is wild I mean I think me and you have had many conversations about the state of the eating disorder services and I don't think it's that people don't care although you know it's it is literally one of those like funding situations and it's so complicated and complex and you know we're not in it so we don't know it's just very difficult when you work privately and you see that there are so many people that do struggle and um, I think that's why having information like this out here is going to be really is really useful for people yeah. because a lot of people don't talk about binge eating it's a secret there's a lot of shame so they're not going to kind of talk to their friends about it and actually knowing that they're not alone and they're not broken and that you know there are things that they can do mm-hmm. is going to be a really useful 
tool to be able to kind of put out here so that's why I'm also very excited that you're on this podcast yeah I'm so excited because yeah 100% I, I just agree with everything you've just said because it, people feel very very embarrassed about talking about it and so even if just this episode can give someone that relief of okay I'm not alone and there's something I can listen to and there's tools I can get from this and insight that I can actually use to move forward then that makes me a very happy person (laughs) that we can provide Mm. that yeah amazing so let's get into it then what are some of the beliefs about binge eating that you want to kind of dive into today Yeah, the first belief that came to mind was I can't stop eating. I believe that I can't stop eating. And so I believe that if I'm presented, especially with certain foods, usually foods that that person would deem to be forbidden or they shouldn't have, they may have the belief of once I start, I can't stop. Like kind of once the packet of biscuits opens, that's it. It's game over. Once the Pringle can pops, you can't stop. Yeah exactly that <laughs> that was the first thing that came in <laughs> it's very good advertising isn't it very Pringles very good <laughs> binge eating since 1894 <laughs> 1894 i don't know i'm listening to hamilton quite a lot um <laughs> this is what we do we have like really serious conversations and then one of us says something ridiculous i know um, i hope everyone can laugh with us because we- that's what you can do (laughs) exactly yeah but so yeah taking it back to that belief I see that quite a lot and people quite openly say you know I can't have this in my house because I will binge on it or from my personal experience as well it's only really you know I've been out, out of recovery and I I had bulimia but I also had like binge eating as part of what I was doing And it's probably only in the last five years that I was able to start eating cereal again, because Mm -hmm. you do avoid it for quite a long time. And it is, it's a difficult one, but a lot of people will just kind of accept that and go, okay, well, I'm not allowed, or I can't buy X or Y. And it seems like an easy enough thing to do. But you know, your lifestyle might change, you might have children, you might you know, live with other people, they're inevitably going to bring in cereal or something into your house. So you're going to have to deal with it. So apart from this avoidance, which a lot of people do, what can you actually do about that? Yeah. And I just want to echo what you've just said. When people restrict food, get it out of the house. I just want to say, like, I understand why you do that. It feels like the right thing to do at the time it feels like the most sensible thing you can do oh this is a trigger food well out of sight out of mind but actually that avoidance is just breeding more fear and what that does is it's causing you to probably think about that food more one so thinking about that food more can lead to you having more cravings for that food and the urge being stronger for that food But also, just like you said, if you are faced with situations where that food is present, then you will feel like you can't cope because your only coping mechanism thus far has been to avoid. So now what do you do when you're when you're faced with that food? So validate yourself and give yourself compassion that that felt like an excellent idea. But it's definitely time to do something different. And what I would say is. Well, what I do with my clients is that when it comes to their trigger foods, so the foods where they have the belief that if I if I see this, if I start this, I won't be able to stop, is to write all of those foods down, rate them from one to ten, with like ten being the most triggering, and then start with the least triggering food and start to introduce that back into your diet. The whole point is that you want to start to get used to having that food again. And for example, what I would do with clients is say, you know, I've, I've had clients who whose trigger food has been like peanut butter, um, nut butters. And so I'd say, okay, if you can get access to like sachets of it, then start with having that in your house. So don't start with getting like the big, you know, family size tub, start really small. And if you can get like sachets, for example, get sachets and start by having that, let's say, um, 
for breakfast like with paired with something or whatever meal feels most appropriate often I'd say what time of the day would do you feel like you're least likely to binge okay in the morning let's say okay then have that sachet of peanut butter in the morning get used to having that and the idea is that you're essentially having exposure to that food and the more you have exposures to it the idea is that your the trigger rating would go down because now you feel more comfortable with that food so you're essentially it's like a desensitization process um so what i'm saying right now is essentially the opposite of avoidance it's exposure facing that food gradually and gently i will be honest i think that sort of intervention it's helpful if you do it with a professional but also i do think if you feel like you're able to, that is an exercise you could just do at home, even if it, you just get started with just writing down all your trigger foods, rating them, picking one and getting started. That is something you could experiment with. Mm. Yeah. And I guess it also gives you the ability to take proactive action on that as well. And it isn't just grabbing like the whole massive jar of it. It's little by little. So I think that's the thing. A lot of people beat themselves up and they're like, well, I should be able to do this. You know, it shouldn't be this hard. Mm -hmm. But when you have spent so long avoiding something, it can be really overwhelming, can't it? Yeah, definitely. And this is where also with the belief of I, I just can't stop. Once I start, can't stop. I'm out of control. You're Again, whilst I validate, I understand why you feel that way, but you're feeding yourself this narrative where you're not giving yourself any room to change the story. Your is a very absolute belief. I can't stop. Once I start, I can't stop. Because there's no room to change that. And so what I would advise you to do is change the narrative, change the story. Acknowledge that you are struggling right now. And I know that's so hard to admit, but acknowledging that, yeah, you're struggling and you need now you're healing you're healing from this and so you need to give yourself grace you need to take things step by step and so when I say talk about like shifting the narrative and changing the story it's not about being like I'm someone who doesn't binge eat anymore or I'm fully in control like you don't need to lie to yourself but just acknowledge that you are healing and you are taking things step by step but ultimately leaning more towards the belief that recovery is possible you don't have to be recovered to lean into that belief yeah absolutely okay so what's our second belief of binge eating so binge eating can often be the result of being unhappy with something um and the example i'm going to use is being unhappy with your body often binge eating and is as a result of someone spending many years dieting so restricting food intake and the reason why they restrict their food intake is because they hate the way they look and so the belief I wanted to bring to this podcast was I'll never be happy in my body that's a biggie that's a big one (laughs) it's a biggie because this is something I think binge eating and beyond isn't it and so many people can resonate with what you've just said yeah so how do you work with that with somebody it is very complicated but I have to compassionately and gently communicate with my client that any goal relating to weight loss does need to be parked it needs to be put to one side we can come back to it but if they are ready and can commit to a binge eating recovery journey is important that they do not try to change their body whilst on that journey we know that obviously body image is such a huge thing and it can again that can just take over somebody's brain just as much as any kind of disordered eating can um and it becomes more than just oh i'm trying to lose weight Mm -hmm. it's there's a lot of secret ways that trying to manipulate a body comes into play isn't there things like um, the type of food that you eat but also things like body checking is that the kind of thing that you encourage people just to park for a little bit yeah absolutely so 
when it comes to the diet, that's normally the first thing I would address. Like nu- the nutritional interventions is recommended to be like the first thing you work with on with a client. And my goal, my, the objective here would be to help the clients regulate their eating. So what we would recommend is three meals a day, two snacks. I know not everyone can w- would be happy with that. Um, and I know everyone's different, but the idea is that we want people just to eat enough throughout the day. And mm. to make things easier for people, normally what I would just recommend is just having balanced meals, like making sure you're having each food group and also making sure you're having food that you enjoy. So that would be the first step. And in order for me to understand what my current client's diet looks like, I would ask them for a food diary. I do not ask my clients to complete a food diary throughout the entire journey of working with me because that is exhausting. I have tried that um, in the past and I listened to people's feedback and they said, look, I just can't, I can't do this every, every day. And I understand that. So normally it's something that I only do at the beginning. And essentially I'm, that gives me insight into understanding, okay, are, are they restricting or does it look like they're they're consuming lots of the typical diet foods um and any problem areas with nutrition that's what we would address first so for example i had a past client who it was very very difficult for her to eat foods that weren't labeled as diet foods so she would pretty much only have low calorie options low calorie ice cream low calorie pizza low calorie yogurt everything had a low calorie label on it and it was very difficult for her to move beyond that and so that was our main our first goal was we need to be you know challenges and to eat food like foods that are just wholesome nutritious foods without the diet labels on um and once she started doing that it made a huge that made a huge difference already just that on its own Mm. so nutritional factors I would address first and then depending on the person yes something like body check-in um 100% would address um I have a very unfun task that I give clients which again is something that I don't think they enjoy but if someone is reporting that they are body checking a lot I would ask them to keep a body checking tracker I'd say every time you body check I want you to write it down The idea behind that is that one, we can see and get kind of a baseline number of how many times they are body checking per day, because let's say, I don't know, it's 20 times per day. I'd say, okay, let's, let's aim for 10 times tomorrow and we'll go from there. And, but also the reason why I ask them to track it is because I want them to be conscious of it. I want them to be aware Mm -hmm. because often body checking is something that you do without even realizing So I want to help them bring it to the forefront of their attention. And then the best thing I think about this task is that because someone knows they have to write it down, hopefully that will prevent them from doing it. So it's, it's a very, it's a very detailed exercise, but it it works. Yeah. But I think it's the awareness sometimes because a lot of people won't even think, you know, they'll look in the mirror, they'll like feel their ribs they will like play with their collarbone all of these like little behaviors that are body checking behaviors people wouldn't even necessarily kind of link as body checking for example could even be putting on the same pair of clothes or jeans every every week just to check that you can still fit in them or yeah feeling how it feels to sit on a chair and whether it's it's so big and that can be I think the awareness piece of that even though it can feel like oh my gosh this is so much work and I think a lot of the time when you do start going down this route of of working on a relationship with food and working on disordered eating it feels like a lot of work at the beginning because there is so much you have to think about that it can feel a lot and I think some people don't always 
know that that is what happens you know but i guess the reality is that all we're doing is we're taking what is inside their heads and just bringing it outside of their heads so that they can actually look at it and analyze it and then choose whether they want to keep that behavior or not definitely um i remember when someone told me i think it was a past supervisor who explained that you know therapy and you know even coaching to a degree is essentially just holding up a mirror to your client so they're telling you something and then they can see it back and then mm yeah like you said be aware and yeah I think it's just a really important point you made like for example I also had a client who told me at the beginning of our journey that going shopping at window shopping was something that she loved to do and she would try on clothes and that like she loved fashion and then it became apparent that that was a form of body checking she was the the trying on clothes and assessing the sizes that was a form of body checking but from her point of view at the beginning that was just a fun activity she was doing it's sneaky that it's very sneaky this little relationship with food piece isn't it yeah gosh it's very sneaky and that's something else I have to always also work with clients on is helping them just be really honest with themselves you know honest with me but honest with themselves because it's very easy to ignore certain symptoms and even you know a type of binge that clients can face is what I would call like um, a premeditated binge where they almost like plan for it and in that moment they believe or they think they believe oh I don't have a problem it's fine I'll, mm-hmm. I'll sort this out another time it's not an issue right now mm-hmm. so they is actually a conscious decision to binge it's completely planned it could be planned days in advance or I know my housemates are out on Friday so I'm gonna binge on Friday and so I think it's actually people who struggle with those sort of binges. I think they probably feel shame on another level because they think, why on earth am I, like, I'm literally planning to do this. How am I going to recover from this when I make the conscious decision to do this? Isn't binge eating meant to be something that's completely out of control? And so that's why it gets really complicated as well. And that's why it's so important to, you know, if you are struggling with binge eating, to really try and understand what do your binge binges look like in the sense of what are you thinking beforehand what is the story what's the narrative there what's the belief and what does that belief and story look like afterwards as well like really trying to understand that full picture and I think that's the thing that especially if you are somebody that plans binges that's the difficult bit because it's like I want to do this there's a part of you that wants to do that there's might even be a part of you that enjoys it and that can be a really confusing thing because the motivation to change can kind of be really up and down because essentially the way that you are your your binges are, are, are serving a purpose aren't they exactly yeah you know some yeah like, like you said for some people binges are fun there's an element of fun there especially for those who maybe grew up where their parents were very strict with food and they weren't allowed to have sweets or, you know, fast food or takeaways, whatever. A lot of the times, people who have that sort of upbringing make, they, they are vulnerable to binge eating as an adult because suddenly they get all this freedom and then they think, oh, this is my time. I can, I can now have this food. And it's re- I think it's really, really difficult with that belief of like oh I I shouldn't have this but this is my only opportunity to have it so that kind of turns into like an opportunity binge where it's like okay this Mm -hmm. is my opportunity I'm gonna I'm gonna do it I'm going to enjoy it then I'll sort it out afterwards so I'm sure there's quite a few people that are listening and they're like oh I, I like I resonate with that what is what's a tool that they can start to bring in that might be able to help them I mean the main thing to look at is one how much are you eating now because if you are restricting, then the opportunity the opportunity in your mind, if that arises to have a binge, is going to feel more intense and bigger because you're also adding that element of hunger. So already, if you are ensuring that you are eating enough, essentially you eat enough until you're full and you're, until you're satisfied, that's also going to mask the opportunity should it arise. But I would say a really nice tool you can also use is breath work and positive self-talk. So this is why it's really important to recognize what are your binge thoughts. So what I would say to everyone listening, listening is try to think back to your last binge. What were the kind of thoughts that are happening? 
around that binge, like right before, because your objective would be to recognize those thoughts should they come up again and recognize them as all these are early warning signs for a binge. And then once you recognize those early warning signs, if you can try and catch them and then maybe practice breathing so that you can calm your body down. Because even if you you, you don't realize in the moment, you're probably stressed. So doing deep breaths, you don't need to do anything complicated. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. That could be enough to just calm you down. And then when I, when I talk about self-talk, it's reassuring yourself that I don't need to binge right now. Even if that's just, it's just that I don't need to binge right now. I'm okay. I'm healing. I'm safe. Even very simple statements like that can really help. It doesn't get, it doesn't need to be anything complicated. Just I'm okay. I don't need to binge right now. Whilst breathing, calming yourself down. And then normally what happens after that, you, your logical brain comes back, comes back into conversation. And then you're like, okay, cool. Like, I don't actually want to binge. <laughs> I thought mm. I did, but I actually don't. Because the thing is, like, nearly everyone who has, like, a, what I would call, like, an opportunity binge, afterwards they think, mm, why did I do that? I now feel rubbish. I now feel sick. I deeply regret that. And so is recognizing as well, like, sometimes your brain lies to you. And so if it's telling you, oh, binging's a really, really great idea right now, try and check that try and challenge that and recognize that that's probably something that's not true. I think that it's going kind of back to that restriction piece as well, isn't it? And I think that's something that quite a lot of people really struggle with because if somebody, especially if they struggle with their weight and they are binging, there's a part of them that goes well I eat loads of food so I don't like I can't eat more during the day because mm. I'm already eating too much I'm already struggling with my weight mm. so if I was going to eat breakfast lunch dinner and some snacks in between what is going to happen to my weight like that's going to be really that's I'm not going to be comfortable with that and I think that's sometimes the hardest belief to break through that if you eat normally there's the part of you that believes that your weight is just going to keep going up and up and up and up yeah 100% because sometimes it's even uh you know I talked a lot about quantity but I do think there is something to say about what you're eating as well you know something that research is really really back is, is having enough protein because that keeps you full so that's also something to look at am I am I having an adequate amount of protein throughout my diet as well you know am I having foods that do spike my blood sugars to to an extent that leaves me crashing and you know when your blood sugars crash that your body can you can interpret that as you being hungry again so I do think it is worth also looking at what you eat and just making sure you are having from a nutritional point of view you are having a balanced meal but then also from you know a soul point of view and a mental point of view you're having foods that you enjoy as well because mm. even if you you're, you're thinking of that I'm already eating too much like but what what food are you actually eating is it is it leaving you feeling satisfied physically mentally you know about to say soulfully but that's not a word but everyone knows it what is. I mean is it soulfully yeah soulfully is a word okay great <laughs> So yeah, physically, mentally, soulfully, are you being filled up? But I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because, and that's why it's so, it's so difficult as well, work, like in this space, because it feels like, okay, well, I've got to make sure that I'm eating enough. I've got to make sure that I'm eating balanced meal, but I don't want to get sucked in by diet culture of like only eating the foods that are deemed healthy, because I do still need to make sure that I'm eating food that I wouldn't necessarily allow myself to eat. And I think that's why so many people can, it, it can become so overcomplicated in our heads because it's like, but what are the rules? I need rules and I need to know what I'm allowed and what I'm not allowed. And actually, I think that's one of the biggest parts of this work is learning that you you can fuel your body in a nourishing way as well as having foods that may not be as nutritionally you know 
beneficial or whatever you want to say but they are very important for your relationship with food to be nurtured to be able to eat food that would be classed as you know a, a bad food i'm using air quotes um because i don't believe in good and bad foods but you know it's foods that people would deem as that because otherwise if you're just going okay well i'm eating all the all the grains and all the seeds and all the nuts and you know i get fresh berries from the bushes every friday whatever it is if you're doing all of that and you could be on paper you know getting the right amount of calories in energy in like nutrition in but if you in your brain feel like you are restricted because you're not allowing yourself to have cake in the office Mm -hmm. when it's someone's birthday or that kind of thing that in itself can drive that binging behavior and that because essentially you are restricting yeah 100 percent. and that's why it's really interesting to also look at what what foods do you typically binge on because obviously it'll be your trigger foods and I really like the saying that your trigger is your mirror because it's just showing you okay these are the foods that I need to address and so yeah if you are on the kind of diet where you know you are having all the leaves and the berries and the, the whole grains but then you're binging on chocolate well a question I would ask is do you like chocolate and are you trying to restrict that from your from your like normal diet normally if I were to ask a question like that that they would answer yes to both yes I do like chocolate yes I do try to avoid it Okay, so that's probably why you're binging on it. And that goes back to that belief that you said right at the beginning of it will probably be because if I have chocolate, I won't be able to stop. Exactly. I'll eat the whole bar. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, eating disorders as a whole, but like talking about binge eating today, it is a jungle. It does feel complicated. It does feel like there's loads of moving parts. But with that being said, once you can start to understand your pattern, your belief, your thought processes, your behavior, and untangle that, it the road forward becomes so much clearer. And then it's just about, okay, prioritizing. Okay, what are the areas I need to work on? What do I need to work on first? And then going from there. And I think it, it probably to people listening as well sounds so much of a jungle because we're obviously talking about it as a whole yeah and it is so different when you were when you're working with somebody individually because it you can find these things out very quickly and you know because you can see patterns you can understand the whether they're restricting understand if there are foods that are on off limits those kind of things that's quite it isn't at that complicated to to do when you're actually working with somebody Mm -hmm. but it sounds very complicated because obviously we are just talking in a really wide broad spectrum here absolutely and even when I do work with people the first two weeks feels like a maze and a jungle as we've been saying but then things get clearer and I'd say by the six week mark people are like okay I understand I have so much more clarity now I know what I need to do and so I think it's normal whether you're working with a professional or you are trying to like tackle this by yourself that it is going to feel overwhelming and complicated at the beginning but stick at it because the more you reflect the more steps you take towards recovering towards healing things will start to untangle and that's why journaling I would say is a very very good tool that I would recommend anyone start to do especially right before a binge so if you're having that urge grab your notebook just get writing anything anything that's in your brain get writing even after a binge grab your journal get writing really start to understand your pattern because even if you uncover the you know for example oh I always binge on a Monday or I always binge on a Friday or I always binge after drinking alcohol or I always binge when I'm stressed. Even if you can just identify that, that is something that you can then address. Okay, I'm, I always binge when I'm stressed, so let me ad- address my stress. And that will feel so much easier for you. You will literally feel like you've uncovered answers that you can actually take action on. And that's going to be such a weight off your shoulders already. Yeah, absolutely. I'm conscious that when we, we were talking about the body image stuff, 
I think we got sidelined into the next belief without looking at like how we address that oh yes so I just wanted us to loop back to that because I I feel like people would be like but you didn't tell (laughs) us what to do yeah so we I was talking about the belief of I'll I'll never be happy until when but specifically to do a body image often people will have the belief I won't be happy unless I'm thin just to say it straight that's a lot of people believe that And then that belief leads them to restrict food and to avoid food, to excessively exercise. And those are the sort of things that can lead to having the urge to binge. But going back to kind of that belief, like you said, it's a biggie. So it will be difficult for me to provide a kind of like a a crash course (laughs) on it. But something that I would really like to share is that with body image, struggles something that really helps is values work so if body image seems to be your biggest struggle right now that is because you're placing a lot of value on your body on your appearance that's not your fault you were probably brought up to be conditioned to feel that way but what we need to do now is recognize that okay whilst it wasn't my fault it's now my responsibility to work on changing that and what I would say is think about the other areas of your life that you would like to place value on and also concentrate on that because we have finite space in our brain. And so if we can practice tuning our attention, our focus, our energy into other areas of our life, then the value that we place on, let's say our our body will get smaller. Um, So it's making that decision that, I place more importance on having a happy and healthy life and enjoying, you know, adventures and trying new things versus letting, like what my body looks like. Because a lot of people will, understandably, but how they feel about their body will hold them back from doing things. So let me just give an example of going on holiday or I don't want to wear, I don't want to go on the beach, I don't want to go into the ocean because of how I feel my body. So that's holding you back from having that experience so it's making the very brave decision in that moment of I choose to value the experience of swimming in the ocean more than I value my appearance right now or how I feel about my appearance and even that can give you that courage to lean into the opposite action essentially which is going into the ocean and it's kind of like exposure work again where you're like oh actually this is really enjoyable oh no one's judging me no one's looking at me like oh that actually was quite fun and then the the more comfortable you will get with doing something like that does that make sense yeah it's kind of just it's almost like giving yourself permission to live life and anyway like just to do the thing anyway because I think there are so many times when we're like oh when I'm thinner I will wear the dress or when I'm thinner I will join the dating app or when I'm thinner I will go for that job promotion like but actually it's just it it, it's it's a roadblock because it there will never be a then because if you you know do some kind of crash diet and it does what it says on the tin and you lose x amount and then you put it back on because you eat go back to eating the Mm. way that you ate before you will be you'll have created kind of a stop in your life of like oh now I can't do that stuff because I don't look how I used to look like my confidence isn't what it was and actually it's confidence is something that I I did like a whole episode on this but you know it's 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 not a value based in terms of like when you do x then you will be confident it's more of a mindset to kind of cultivate yeah definitely and a lot of people will say to me but Harriet if I lose weight then I will be confident and the thing is if your drive to lose weight is being so it's you know it's been driven by insecurity and a lack of confidence then even if you lose weight you're probably not going to be confident you're you're still going to have those insecurities because the main vehicle that was that, that that drove you to that outcome was insecurity so it's trying to also find other ways to build your confidence and understanding that, you know, trying to even reflect on what is core confidence. You know, 
I would say, in my opinion, core confidence is something that can't so easily be taken away from you. So it's really trying to lean into your inner attributes, the things that you build upon and that are yours, not things that are so, you know, are subject to change. And our body is subject to change. So, Mm. you know, unfortunately it is. Like, as we're all going to grow, I hope that we all grow old and we're all going to be wrinkly and, you know, our bodies will become flabby and we will gain weight as we age. And what you want, you want to, you don't want to rely, you know, you don't want to have your confidence based purely on your body because then you're going to reach a certain age and be like, fuck, I, where's my confidence? I don't have any confidence. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then you have to feel like you're having to build that up again later in life. So I think it's right now, you know, whatever age you are trying to, understand that confidence comes from many different parts of you and relying on it on one thing is just always going to be risky I think a really good like piece to do as well and it's such a like we we could do a whole other conversation about this um so I won't go into it too much but I think a whole other piece is actually understanding why looking a certain way is important to you and where the messaging has come from and how that has been kind of manipulated by the people around you or society and the the kind of the thin ideal and Mm -hmm. looking at that like it's it's a really interesting thing to be able to open your eyes to as as to why it's why it actually matters like why why does it matter Mm -hmm. for me to be a size zero or why does it matter for me Mm -hmm. to have abs what does that actually represent for me and I know you and I have both gone down the rabbit hole and and it can be again quite a messy experience but it is very it's very interesting to actually take a moment and go why do I believe this like why is this important to me and is it actually my decision that I've decided to make this important or is it just something that has been instilled in me that I've collected from my mom or Mm -hmm. like a relative or like society like what is this and I think that that can be a really interesting empowering piece yeah um but it's definitely about protecting your own kind of self-worth in that as well because I think it can get a bit sticky yeah it's I've I've I have asked like many time many a time like you know questions that probably feel quite triggering but they're not meant to be triggering they're meant to be thought provoking but you know if if we go back to the example of oh I don't want to go into the ocean because I'm conscious about my parents and so you know I have the decision whether I settle to miss out on an experience um or decide to place more value on you know going into the ocean and and like being with my loved ones whatever sometimes if I if you pose the question of you know why is your body more important than you know having an an experience with a loved one that can be quite triggering for someone because they would be like Mm. you know inside they're probably thinking it's not but so it's like, where do you think that came from? Like, who told you that? And that can just be a very unsettling. I, I, I think it's one where people always, I think, would feel quite uncomfortable in the moment because no one wants to feel like they're coming across as being, you know, so appearance focused. Because I feel like they'll probably feel like on the surface that's not a good thing. So it's like, how, how did that happen? How did that become a thing? And often people do need that time between sessions to really deeply reflect on that. And then they come back and they're like, okay, you know, my eyes are open. And I think it's it's about the compassion piece that you said mm. right at the beginning as well. It's like, this is all done in a very compassionate way yes. because beating yourself up, you know, there are people that will really deeply distrust or dislike the way that their body looks but then there's an added element of them feeling bad about that because they know that they are in a privileged position of being a certain size or of being white or having and that adds another layer of shame and guilt Mm. onto something because they're like well I shouldn't be feeling this but it's the more shame and guilt no matter what form that comes in that you add on to the way that you feel Mm -hmm. is just going to keep you more stuck and actually it's just about going yeah okay this is how I feel I wonder why Mm -hmm. okay well that's interesting is this something I want to take ahead like forward with me 
yes or no and if it is a yes for now then that's okay but if it's a no and you want to become see yourself as more than just a body and kind of free up that relationship and nurture that relationship then great but it it is a big big topic yeah yeah and it requires so much compassion because yeah I don't want anyone to feel guilty for placing importance on their body because like I said you know a moment ago it's not your fault I've been really wanting to like talk about like this just very quickly because I don't know if it will help make sense of this but it's like for example women have been conditioned to shave their legs and remove body hair from the neck down and I remember I saw a TikTok and you know it was like did you know that uh this was conditioned to us in society to make for for men to make money and it you know this this very intelligent person shared like the history of this and in the I found the comments very interesting because someone said someone commented saying but I like my legs to be hairless I like to shave and then the creator wrote back saying but yeah but you've been conditioned to do that like like you you should be angry like you should want to change and then the person said but I like my body that way now and so I bring that up as an example because it's like well we've been conditioned to feel a certain way about certain things we do to our body and so someone saying to you oh stop thinking that you know because it's you know it's man-made it's made up it's not as simple as that for some people they can get angry and be like oh my goodness that's how that that's why I believe that okay that's not my belief like you can have that back I make the rules now but of course for many it's well people see beauty in in certain ways that it's very difficult for them to change and we need to also extend compassion to those people as well and then and have a, a lot of understanding and empathy that they feel that way I don't know if that was a random thing to bring up but no it makes so much sense and actually interestingly I read something about this this morning mm. and it was really interesting because there is a lot of people now that are choosing to grow out their hair under their arms and stuff like that. And they'll have people that are attacking them saying it looks disgusting, it looks unclean and all of that. And obviously they can come back and say, actually, it's not unclean. It's actually really blah, 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 etc. But when and I and I respect them for seeing that conditioning and not feeling as if they want to partake in that and doing something different. Mm-hmm. And I saw a creator, she's quite a famous um like coach and she basically said like I just don't like the feeling of being hairless like I respect people that want to be hair free and I respect people that want to be hairy but it's it's personal preference is I guess what I'm trying to say and I think that the fact that we're like we're we have freedom to choose what we actually want and I think we can we can go you know is is this a conditioned belief that I have and if it is, but it doesn't cause any issue, like, in your life, then what, like, and it doesn't affect anybody else's, you know, then we're, we all have beliefs, we, and we all have conditioned beliefs, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they are all harmful. There's a lot that are helpful. Yeah. And I think that being able to explore this is something that is interesting, like, you and I have talked about the fact that there's there's often like an arc when it comes to eating disorder recovery, being in an eating disorder and having a disordered relationship with food, or you know even if that is just chronic dieting, and then you and you start to learn about diet culture, you start to learn about body positivity and body mm-hmm. image and the way BMI comes like through history and how messed up that is, and you start to shove against everything that is or could be diet culture at all Mm -hmm. and you know you you often look at things like the health every size movement and in the extreme kind of fat activism and you often will kind of go from one extreme to the other Mm -hmm. of and and there are there's quite a lot of people in that movement that are like you shouldn't exercise you shouldn't like try and eat like in a certain way they are very literally like taking all of diet culture's rules and reversing them and 
that that might last for a long time for some people but generally we've talked about this and I think we've both been through this as well you kind of come into a middle ground where it's like actually I I appreciate the experience of everybody in this position yeah in this in all positions but actually what is helpful for me is it helpful for me never to join a fitness class or um go to the gym is that something that I actually am happy not doing or is it something that I would like to get back into and it not being a triggering thing or you know I I would like to eat more like nourish my body more but I can do that that isn't in these extreme ways and I think you find this and I talk about it with my clients is like this there's almost this quiet confidence of just like okay I know what works for me I'm not pinning my post on either end I found the, the the tools that work for me that mean that I have this relationship with food that is a, a, a good one yeah which is what I was saying a little bit earlier about the fact that you can really go down the rabbit hole which can yeah it, it's difficult and a, a big lesson for me especially going down that rabbit hole but something that 100% is present in my practice now is that if I'm encouraging a client to like deprioritize weight loss or placing value on their appearance I am not making a political stance I'm Mm -hmm. doing it because I believe that that will help them reach their goal of having a healthy and happy relationship with food so that they can get their life back and it was something Mm -hmm. I'm a bit Emily you said to me it was you know have you of course have your beliefs and go through evidence-based interventions but always have a clause of doing what's best for the individual in front of you and that's why I think personalized support with this is so important because if you're trying to force someone to not care about their body when they do then they're just going to resist the work and you're not going to be able to help them so you have to you know you have to compromise a little bit and you knowing that you're doing it for the highest good of them and that doesn't mean that you're you're complying with like diet culture narratives. You're, you, you, I always psychoeducate my clients on diet culture. I always have the intention of helping them open their eyes, but I'm not going to push and force political stances on them because mm. it just won't work. And it just adds that extra layer of guilt as well that we talked about because it's like then you feel bad about the body, the skin that you're in, which is the whole reason why you ended up here in the first place it just it just doesn't match up I just it's it's fighting hate with hate whether that's on a broad scale in terms of political stance etc or if it's on an inner scale just doesn't work hate plus hate does not equal positive lasting results it just doesn't work like that I just don't think anyone should be apologizing for the skin they're in whether they are in a larger body a smaller body any kind of shape size or color we should all be trying to lift each other up and appreciating the fact that we are all so different. And I think that that needs to be celebrated more. And the more that we can do that and like truly authentically do that, not just push an ideal of body appreciation, positivity, I think the more that we can help to destigmatize the whole body image side of our relationship with food because it is such a driver yeah 100% so it's just going back to that clause of doing what's right for you and what's best for your health and happiness absolutely so if somebody's listened to this and they've kind of resonated with some of the stuff that you've been talking about in terms of either struggling with binge eating or maybe they're not sure where can they go where can they find you because you've got a lot of different options to work with with you haven't you but you've also got some exciting stuff coming up as well yeah so the best way to find out about me is probably to head to my instagram which is at harriet curry underscore and just head to the link in my bio because i have some options where you can work with me one-on-one but i also do have a binge eating course which is what i call like the a to z roadmap which really goes through all of the fundamentals on recovering from binge eating. So there's two main options there, but I also do put out content every week that I really put a lot of time and effort into to also provide you with like extra value and education. So I'd say head to my Instagram, give me a follow, give me a DM as well if you want to explore 
get in support and you don't know which option is right for you um and I'm sure we can find something amazing and it needs to be said as well your TikTok is amazing like there is so much stuff on Harriet's TikTok but also being a hypnotherapist you don't just work with binge eating so if you know people have listened and maybe you resonated with Harriet or you just like her approach or her vibe is hitting you in all the good good places um, <laughs> then head over and, and have a conversation because perhaps I am biased because we are friends but you know I think from a professional level the work that you do and the amount of knowledge you have and the way that you put it out to people is just brilliant so head over Aww. and follow her thank you I love you this was so fun this was so much fun and I think that there was a lot of kind of easter eggs in there as well for Ooh. people to take so yeah thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me I absolutely love this podcast I've been listening to every episode and I'm like oh my god I know I know the host <laughs> she's my bestie <laughs> it's really cool <laughs> thank you you're the best thanks Emily bye I'm so grateful for Harriet coming on and sharing all of these insights and tips because if you are somebody who has experienced binge eating you know just how debilitating it can be how much it can consume your life how much it can make you feel bad about yourself how much it can shake the very core of who you are And I think that being able to recognize yourself in that moment and give yourself the compassion that we talked about so often, use some of these tools. And if you are struggling, reach out for help. If this episode could give you any of that, then we did our job. As always, please like, share, review, do all the things just to see if we can get even more people listening to the echoes and benefiting from these kind of conversations. I'm always talking about the ripple effects and I always will because these small actions could totally transform somebody's life because a lot of the time when we are looking at changing our relationship with food it is about the small steps because the small steps are the things that reach those big goals. I hope wherever you're listening to this, you're having a great day and I'm really looking forward to seeing you again for the next episode of The Echoes. Mm